Well, today we begin chapter 16 of Luke. We're getting there, aren't we? Probably another 18 months, two years, we might finish Luke. But today we start chapter 16 of Luke. And throughout chapter 16, Jesus is pretty much entirely focusing on our attitude to and our use of money and possessions in the world. Now, before you switch off and think, oh, here we go, I'm not going, I'm not, I'm not going to be challenging you on what you're doing with your money today. Okay, this is a general principle that we are working toward with a, a, a wider meaning than me just standing here asking you know, people to, to, to rethink offerings and tithes, even though that is a portion of it. Um, and the reality is that if Jesus didn't hold back in teaching about this subject, then neither will we. Okay? A couple of weeks ago, if you were here, we looked at the, uh, well, arguably, one of the most famous parables or stories in the New Testament, the prodigal son. And today, and over three Sundays, we will be exploring one of Jesus' more tricky sections of teaching which uh, all revolve around a parable or a story named the dishonest manager, in my Bible anyway. It might sound something similar in yours. The dishonest manager. But to give us some breathing space as we do this, we're going to split uh, the teachings of this parable and the events surrounding this parable into three parts, starting today with really just laying the foundation laying the foundation for us to then be able to build upon and understand what Jesus is actually teaching through this. But to help us at the scene, it seems that Jesus is still, we've been, we've been with this same group of sinners, haven't we, and Pharisees for a long time now, but it seems like Jesus is still with this same group of sinners and Pharisees, uh, those who he has been teaching and we've been looking at that for the last, gosh, probably five weeks. But his focus now changes. Where he was primarily focusing on the sinners and tax collectors and also responding to the Pharisees, today in this passage his focus changes to speak to his disciples who are obviously also there. Because he wants them to learn something from this parable. But as we will see, as we go on over these weeks, the Pharisees, for those who don't know the Pharisees, they were, if you will, the religious elite of the day. The Pharisees who were also listening to Jesus talking to his disciples about this parable take great offence to what they hear him say. And that results in, as it often does, a showdown between them and Jesus. So if you have your Bibles with you, chapter 16, verse 1, I'm going to read the entire passage today, or now, but we are only going to be focusing in today on the first eight verses. So Luke 16, 1. He also said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is, what is this that I hear about you? 
Turn in your account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to him, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning the master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the, in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you which is, that which is your, yours, sorry, your own? No servant, can, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone, uh, everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Who's confused? bit confusing, isn't it? What, what is Jesus going on about there? Okay? When on first hearing, a lot of that doesn't necessarily mean what you think it initially means. Okay? Which is why we're going on a journey to unpack it. So if you're sitting there going, no idea. Don't panic. Alright? We will do our best, and I will do my best, God willing, to help unpack this and help us to understand this. Should we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to open your word, to communicate your word, to help unpack your word. But Lord, we recognise that in our human state, Lord, that we are unable to do this. This is purely the work of your Holy Spirit dwelling in us and around us. Lord, I... Uh, you know my prayers this week. This has been a challenging passage to prepare for. 
Lord, and I just pray that uh, this morning you just use me as your vessel to communicate the truth of this passage as we lay the foundations for the week to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So who's been for a walk around Blenheim recently? Lovely place, Glenham, isn't it? I, we, we haven't been actually this this time, so we, we probably all the autumn leaves and everything are out. But it's been a bit of a pain, isn't it, when they've been dredging out the lake because you can't do all the walks around it. But anyway, that's just beside besides the point. Sorry. For those who may know, some most probably may not. Dominic Hare. Anyone heard of Dominic Hare? Dominic Hare is the CEO of the Blenheim Palace estate. He's responsible, or his responsibility, is the wise management of the state, the estate, its services, and its goods on behalf of Blenheim Palace, and also on behalf of the current owners of Blenheim Palace, the Churchill family. The Churchill family placed their trust in Dominic, and also the team, but specifically in Dominic, to manage their assets with wisdom, with respect, and with care. And this is the same opening picture we gain from Jesus' parable here. An estate manager is placed in charge of the owner's estate and trusted to manage that estate well, with dignity, with wisdom, and with care. But that's not what happened, was it? We read in verse 1 that this manager was wasting the owner's possessions, misusing the owner's possessions, and was subsequently summoned before the owner to answer for his allegations. Or for the allegations, sorry. It would be similar to Dominic Hare abusing the assets and the positions of Blenheim Palace and being called before the Churchill family to answer for those allegations. So in the parable, the manager arrives and we are told that the owner says to the manager in verse 2, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in your account of your management, you can no longer be my manager. What's happened? What's happened in this picture here? What's happened to the manager? He's been, he's been sacked. He's been fired. He hasn't been doing his job properly. He's been misusing the trust that's been given to him. So the owner's gone, goodbye, there's the door, out you go. What's interesting is that the manager doesn't dispute the accusations against him. We don't see that in the passage. That can only lead us to conclude that actually, yeah, it, it was true. And obviously, even in the parable, we know it's true. But instead of being remorseful of, remorseful of breaking the trust of the owner, he delves straight into knee mode, ego mode. Well, what am I supposed to do now? Well, maybe not do it in the first place, but what am I supposed to do now? I'm too weak to dig. So he's obviously not strong enough to be able to go out and do manual labour. 
and I'm ashamed or will be shamed if I beg. There's pride coming in, isn't it? So what does he do? He concocts a selfish plan at the expense of the owner and uses the owner's business as a way of securing options for himself in the near future. So in essence, we could say the plan that he concocts, concocts is in essence showing mercy to the owner's debtors. Let's look at it. Verse 5. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, i.e. those who owe the owner money for goods that they have received, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. That's around 3,200 litres of oil. Okay, fairly substantial amount. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. You can imagine the scene. Really? That's amazing. Thank you very much. It's no problem. Mayor for you. You know, to find these customers always happy. You know, you can imagine that sort of attitude going on, that sort of conversation going on. He then said to the other, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. I, that's around 11, apparently, that's around 11,000 bushels of wheat. Bushels are those really sort of fancy little, sort of, imagine doing that with a load of wheat. That's basically a bushel, okay? It's not the big circle things we see in the fields. And he said to him, same thing, take your bill and do your favour. It's all right, I've got your back. Take your bill, write down 80. Now, some have argued that this could be, or you could read this or see this as a righteous act by the manager, suggesting that the owner of, ev of, obviously of, of everything that the, that the manager is managing may have been charging way too much interest. So to gain favour, the manager was taking the excess interest off the bill. That, as, as, as I read anyways, how some people have taken it. Now I would suggest that that doesn't quite work. As nowhere in Jesus' parable is this indicated. Let's be honest, the parable is named the dishonest manager, not the righteous manager. Okay? But it's important to throw it out there that some people read this differently, which is why it is a tricky passage. The, 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 the manager's motive was maleficent. The manager's motives were cunning. In, he was intentful in what he was trying to do. By reducing the first debtor's bill by 50% and the second debtor's bill by 20%, he would have saved them combined an estimated 500 denarii, which apparently is around 20 months' wages. So it's a substantial amount of money. You see, this act of selfish mercy, and it's really important getting that word in there, selfish mercy. He wasn't being merciful from a righteous perspective. This was selfish mercy that he was showing to them. Would result in the debtors now being in debt to the manager, owing the manager something. Some a, a debt that he they or sorry, he could claim in the future. 
providing security for himself. Shrewd, that's why, why Jesus says shrewd. Shrewd but clever. Shrewd but clever. Now the parable itself, is everyone still with me? Great. Now the parable itself, as we have seen, isn't necessarily difficult to understand. Okay? What can be tricky is the understanding the verse after the parable in which Jesus lays the foundations of the parable and also lays the foundations for his lessons to come. Which brings us to verse 8, which is where we're going to be camping for the remainder of our time today. Okay? Now verse 8 is an important verse in the sense that it sets, as I've said, the foundation for Jesus' application of the parable later on. Now it's important to mention that this verse has been debated. Okay? Not because, and this is important, not because of the verse's content and message. Okay? Not because of the verse's content and message but around who supposedly speaks the words contained within the verse. Okay? Some believe it's a continuation of the parable and the person speaking is the estate owner. Others believe that the parable finishes in verse 7 and the words in verse 8 is Luke sharing Jesus' opening remarks about the parable couple of suggestions for this reasoning is that uh, we are introduced to this title master in verse uh, seven, uh, so verse 8. Something that Luke has used in the past when referencing Simon's response to Jesus. In Luke 5, 5, uh, uh, Luke writes that Simon calls him master. To be honest, I find that's a little bit weak plausible, but a little bit weak in, in the argument for that. But there's another stronger reason, and that is in the way that the verse is constructed. If you look at the second sentence of verse 8, it begins with for. That word for, which suggests that it's a continuation of that which was spoken already. Okay? Told you it's, it's going to be interesting, and we're going to delve into it. But if you look, the second sentence in verse 8 doesn't really flow with the tone of the parable. Because the second sentence in verse 8 says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Does that sound like the owner of the parable? Or does that sound something more like Jesus would say? To be honest, it doesn't really matter how you choose, or whether you choose to believe is speaking in this, uh, in, in verse 8. The words don't detract from the main point of the parable, okay? But it is important just to lay that out, that people struggle with who's speaking in that verse. So I'll leave that up to you. Take that home, mull it over, over a cup of tea and a bottle of biscuit, okay? If you're asking myself, I tend to lean toward the parable finishing in verse 7. Okay? 
So let's look at verse 8. What's it say? So the master, who I would suggest is Jesus speaking here, commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. This sentence is a little strange, I would suggest, as it gives us a picture of the master praising, the master congratulating the manager for his shrewdness. Now shrewdness, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is, and I quote, a clear understanding and good judgment of a situation usually resulting in an advantage. Let's say that again. A clear understanding and a good judgment of a situation usually resulting in an advantage. Think about it this way. Think of the words cleverness. Think of the words wisdom. Think of the words sharp wittedness. Okay, you'll be within that sort of ballpark. So some examples might be that, let me click on Barbara. But, sorry, Barbara. The Barbara used her shrewd analysis skills to make some good deals on the stock market. You didn't know that about Barbara, did you? <laughs> okay, what about, um, what about uh, after some shrewd shopping? I'm going to click on Rob. Rob and Louise used their money to be able to buy themselves a lovely holiday. It's because of their shrewdness in shopping, okay, their cleverness, their wisdom of being able to find the deals. Okay? What about, uh, what about this then? Have you ever been in a situation when someone has managed to get one up on you? Right? When someone's managed to get one up on you, and you might be, or considering being angry with them, but under your breath you say, oh, fair play. Okay? Who's been in a situation like that? Yeah, fair play. I should be angry with you, but you yeah, I didn't see that one coming. It's the same sort of point that's going on here. So in essence, the master in verse 8 is complimenting the manager's wisdom, cleverness and sharp wittedness in looking out for himself by concocting this plan. But, the buts are important, aren't they? Yeah. Right? But he is not commending the manager's evil. It's important to remember. Okay? He's not commending the manager's evil, but he is commending his wisdom, cleverness, sharpness, his shrewdness in looking out for himself and building and concocting this plan. Okay. Jesus then goes on in verse 8 to lay the anchor points to the entire parable, a truth that also provides the foundations for all the lessons that we will continue, continue to learn over the coming weeks. He says, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. It's 
passage or this sentence first really demands that we understand who the sons of the world and the sons of light refer to before we can move on to understand the principle that he is making. Firstly, he, his use of the word son or sons, this, this word huios, uh, which in the Greek, in its literal sense, does mean son or sons by birth or a descendant. But his figurative use in this passage refers to those who share the same nature as the Father. Those who share the same nature as the Father, which can refer to both sons and daughters. Okay? And as we can see, the son or sons and daughters have been split into two camps here. Those who are of this world and those who are of the light. Those who are of this world, those who are of light. Anyone with eyes to see, whether back in Jesus' day or to us today, can see that we live in an evil world. We live in an evil world. Yes, there are good people in the world. Of course there are good people in the world. Okay? But inherently, this world is full of selfishness, of hate, of disease, of despair, of violence. As Kelly alluded to in her prayers this morning, which wasn't the world intended for us, but is the world that came to be when through Adam, sin, entered the world. And this world has a father figure. The world has a father figure. Satan. Satan. Who loves nothing more than to, focus, than to cause excuse me, havoc in this world, doing everything he can to blind the eyes of humanity to the one true almighty God. His God. I think he forgets that sometimes, doesn't he? His God. And many millions of people in this world follow him, follow his ways and his schemes. Some of them unknowingly. Which is why our mission of sharing the gospel within the world is so important. To help in opening their eyes to the truth of God's word. Paul alludes to this in 2 Corinthians. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Amen. So, the sons or daughters of this world that he's alluding to, are those who belong to this present evil age. Those living at odds with God, living separated from their creator, and who are in favour of following the will of their father, the devil. 
Jesus alludes to this truth in John 8 when he confronts the Pharisees when they say to him, our father is Abraham. Jesus says, no, if that were true, then you would, you would be following me instead of trying to kill me. And then he goes on in John 8 verse 44 and he says this, he says, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. The Apostle Paul says something similar. He says in Galatians 1.4, to the churches of Galatia, to whom he's writing, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. What does he mean by evil age? The evil age is the moment the sin entered the world till Christ comes back. That's the evil age. So we're still in it. As Jesus' disciples were in it. And those who come beyond after us will still be in it unless Christ comes back before they, they arrive. Where was I? Ah yes. Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all his people said, Amen. 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 Now though the devil has a grip on the earth and is the father figure for those who he deceives in this world, do not think for a moment that he is the ultimate power because he really isn't. Satan is a defeated foe. Amen indeed. He himself was created by a creator who we know and he knows to be God Almighty. And he is fully subject to him, just as we are. The humans have a choice. We have a choice. We either follow the father of lies in this world or we follow the father of light. Father of lies father of light. Some follow the will and schemes of Satan, others follow the one true God, light himself. Which leads us on to the sons and daughters of light, which are referenced in the passage. The sons and daughters of light are those who, through faith in Jesus Christ, have had their eyes opened, the scales fall from, the, from their eyes to the schemes of Satan in this world and have been adopted into God's family and now live in relationship with him, their creator, following his will and his way throughout this earth, throughout this life that we live. Paul declares this, this similar truth in Galatians 4 again, and he says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Who's his son? Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, 
crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and daughter. And if a son and daughter, then you are an heir through, through God. Praise God. Friends, is this not the heart of the gospel message? That God came into the earth, born of a virgin woman, woman lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death in order to provide a door, a path back to God the Father, back into right relationship with him. To give those who would but place their trust by faith in Jesus an escape route to avoid God's Almighty's coming judgment. A judgment every one of us deserves for our rebellious attitude toward him who created us and brings life into us. The judgment that those rebels who continue to follow Satan in this world, in this present evil age, the father of this world will receive if they do not repent and place their faith in God through Christ. Friends, for those of us here today in this room who have placed our faith in Jesus, me, you, we are sons and daughters and heirs of God. That's amazing. What does Paul say in Romans 8? Now, if you are children, who's a child of God here? Amen. Amen. Now, if you are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Wow. Jesus himself calls all to follow in the context of today's passage. He says in John 12, 36, while you have the light. So who is the light? Jesus. While you have the light. Though he's not physically with us on the earth, he is still with us. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons and daughters of the light. Friends, if you are here today and you have not surrendered yourself, given your life to Christ, I implore you to do so. You can become a son or a daughter of light, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You can receive forgiveness today. You can receive newness of life today. You can receive hope, which this world is lacking. Hope now and hope for an eternal future with him. Repent and believe and place, believe in your heart that Christ died for you on that cross to set you free. And let us help you go on that journey with him. You know, after the service today, we always say it, and it's, it's open for everyone. We have a prayer area over there, and it's there to pray for people, pray with people. But there are also people here who are willing to talk with you, 
You may not fully get it, that's okay. But if God is prompting you, if he's tugging your heart, if he's saying, do you not walk out of here today? Invite him in. Just say, Lord, I don't know what this is all about, but I, but I, I, I believe it. I know I'm not perfect, I know I live a sinless life, a sinful life, but I want to change, I want to, I want to follow you, I want to, I want to be a, a, a disciple of yours, a student of yours, and live the way you want me to live. Come and see us. Come and talk to us after the service. Come to the prayer area there. There will be someone who's willing to go on that journey with you. Well, we are as a church willing to go on that journey with you. Amen? Amen. Let's put the band up, please. Don't even write out verse 8. There's a Quite a few to go, but that's okay. Now I know there's been a lot to take in there today, so before we head off for tea and tea and fellowship, let's just summarise the parable and summarise the foundation Jesus was laying, which will help us or help springboard us into the coming weeks. What does Jesus mean when he says? that the master commanded the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. In essence is this, the people of the world in which we live have great wisdom and great cleverness about the way the world works, about its schemes, about its cutthroat dealing, because we see it all around us, if we're being honest with ourselves. But often that is aimed at building wealth for themselves in this life. Okay? Because that's the way they're living. A lot of the time, they couldn't give two monkeys about this person called Jesus. They're looking out for themselves. They're living for themselves, and they're using shrewdness to try and build wealth for themselves in this life. But Jesus is using this parable to show his disciples, and when I say disciples in this context, I mean throughout time, okay? Because it's a, it's a timeless truth here. Jesus is using this parable to show his disciples throughout time to open your eyes to the great skill and focus worldly people have in handling their money and their possessions and in their use of them to take care of their current earthly well-being. And he wants all Christians throughout time to apply the same attitude and focus when we are considering our eternal future. In essence, all Jesus' disciples are called to be wary and are called to be careful to not use our God-given money, wealth, or possessions in an unrighteous way, in ways that God wouldn't approve of, like we see in the world around us. But instead, he wants us to use this same shrewdness, this same cleverness, this same wisdom, this same sharp-wittedness, as we see in the world, in a righteous way, in a righteous use of any monies and wealth and possessions we have. 
and not to necessarily focus on building it, building it a comfortable life now, but use it to focus on building our eternal future. And that is where we'll finish today. And we'll pick it up next week. Amen? Amen. Amen. Good. I hope that hasn't been too taxing for everybody.